This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So dealing with a debt problem goes far beyond just the financials. Blair Manton wants you to know Sands & Associates is the best firm that you can choose at this point. They are BC's largest licensed insolvency trustee firm in the province focused on debt help services for consumers, help thousands, obviously thousands of people get a, get out of from underneath their debt and really ultimately change their lives with that financial fresh, fresh start. So Blair's got some key messages of reassurance that he and his team want you to know. So do you want to start by telling us a little bit about Sands & Associates for anybody that doesn't know, a little bit about your history even? Yeah, certainly. So it used to be called bankruptcy trustees, but Sands & Associates is a firm of licensed insolvency trustees, and we're the people you should call when you need a plan to deal with your debts. So if you find yourself being stressed about your finances, not sure where to turn, don't know how you're going to be making these payments, or you're making all your payments, but you know you'll be in debt for decades to come, uh, a trustee is the best person you can reach out to to get a plan to get you back to owing nobody anything, to being able to have some financial goals in your future, uh, and to really achieve what you want to achieve on a financial basis rather than spending all of your money you know, on interest charges or things that just reoccur every month and don't get you anywhere. Uh, We were founded in 1990, um, and Sands & Associates, I'm proud to say we've grown to become BC's largest firm of licensed insolvency trustees, and all we do is help people and small businesses deal with tough debt situations. So we're not a firm that does 100 different things to 100 different clients. We're very, very competent, very experienced, um, and uh, and we have a great reputation um, in helping people when they find themselves in tough situations. I also like the fact that that, uh, Sands & Associates believes that money problems can happen to anyone at any time. It's it's really quite astounding to me over the years that we've been talking about this, Blair, that it's for sometimes for folks, it's just one thing that will trigger a whole host of other things. And before you know it, you're in this pit of debt and you can't figure out how to deal with it. And I like the fact that you know that going in. Absolutely, Elaine. You know, we're, we're committed to an approach of genuine care and empathy. So with each of our staff, our, our goal is to treat every client that, that reaches out to us as if they were a close family member going through a very tough time. What sort of empathy and support would that person want to feel? And that's what we aim to provide as much as we can uh, when we're dealing with our clients. And what we really want people to know is that they do have support. There's qualified solutions. Uh, they need to know where to find them. Uh, but there's absolutely light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, you know, there's there's no debt problem that doesn't have a solution. That's what really gives me so much energy every morning is knowing I'm going to face a bunch of problems on clients in different client situations, but I've got the solution to solve those problems because Canadian law is so great. It's very well written. I don't calculate the government a lot, but they did a great job uh, when they wrote their insolvency laws because it really does give somebody a chance to literally turn their life around uh, in a quicker and often less expensive means than they, than they thought possible. 
Um, you know, oftentimes what we do as insolvency trustees, you know, part of it is the numbers and it's understanding, well, you know, what can you afford to pay back and here's how the bankruptcy should be administered. Um, but what's really, um, you know, even more interesting and definitely more gratifying on a day-to-day basis is understanding what does it feel like to be in debt. So what's the current situation the clients are facing uh, when they pick up the phone or walk in the door? And it's oftentimes people are at one of the lowest points in their lives. And to be able to help them to suddenly start again, to rebuild that self-worth, um, to get back on track, you know, that could be just such a rewarding thing for myself and for my team here. And in terms of how it feels to be in debt, you know, no surprise to anybody, it doesn't feel good. And when we survey our clients every year, we do a very detailed um, survey over a period of a couple of months and release it to the media every year in January. Um, each year, it's very consistent. Over three in five people said the reason they knew they had a debt problem was because overwhelming stress had manifested itself and they just couldn't ignore it anymore. Uh, for two thirds of people, self-esteem was suffering because of being in debt uh, in a similar proportion their health was suffering so um, you know stress isn't good for anybody at any time and definitely we're understanding more and more how physically stress can manifest itself to the point of you know even even causing death in, in certain people so uh, definitely dealing with the financial stress can often have really significantly positive physical impacts uh, and you know finally as much as one in six people that reached out to us had said they had contemplated thoughts of suicide to deal with their financial situation again for some for a situation where we know there's a solution we know people just need to reach out to know that as much as many as one in six people just don't realize that uh, and really have some dark days and dark thoughts uh, just tells us we need to continue to do as much as we can to get the word out that empathetic and supportive debt solutions do exist. I'd, I'd like to keep talking about that part, Blair, because I think it's really important and is really significant for Sands and Associates in terms of how you and all of the staff in the offices uh, do your business and talk to people and support them and, and help them through this, the um, whatever situation. And I think the number one one that I've heard you say so many times is your your financial problems do not define you. And I think that is so embedded in people that it, that they believe it does. Um, and I think it comes from, you know, our parents and our parents' parents, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that have just sort of instilled that. But, but it's not true, especially in today's um, landscape where, boy, oh, boy, things can change so quickly for folks. Yeah, it's, it's often, you know, it's a sign of a very moral person to want to honor all of your obligations and your commitments. And when you think about it, you borrowed the money, you made a commitment that you were going to pay it back. And it's not comfortable to be in a situation where you can't meet a commitment that you've made. And oftentimes, the more moral and upstanding the person, you know, the harder that they can really take that and it can really cause, you know, a significant hit to their self-esteem and a sense of self-worth. Um, so, so much of our meetings, especially at first, it's just helping people really separate that, really understand that, you know, being in debt is a temporary situation. It's not a permanent state. You are not defined by being in debt now. Um, you know, if you're in debt five years from now, well, that, that's a bit of a challenge. You didn't take the steps and that's going to start to define you, but don't let that happen, you know. Um, it's not a reflection of you of your character, you or your character. And quite often, being in debt is often not your fault. So one of my colleagues, uh, her name is Darlene, one of her uh, pieces of advice that she put on her bio, which I thought was great, is she says, financial difficulties are not a reflection of who you are as a person. They're only a symptom of something bigger that you may have no control over. And this really played out in our survey as well. As many as four out of five individuals, when we really drilled down, what's the, what's the issue that caused you to have to file a bankruptcy or a proposal? Four of the five top main causes were illness, injury, or health-related problems not within your control, 
overextension of credit due to cost of living outpacing income, generally not within your control. You're not con- con- controlling the inflation these days that's happening. Marital or relationship breakdown, oftentimes that can come without warning. And then job-related or job loss. So the vast majority of situations, when I sit down and I, and I, I hear an individual's uh, story of what they've been through and what they've done, Sometimes I can't find anything that they could have done different that would lead to a different outcome. And what they need to do is just start to forgive themselves a little bit for some of, you know, okay, maybe they could have tweaked a little thing here or there, but it wouldn't have resulted in a sea change to their situation. Uh, They need to be focused on what they can do now rather than judging themselves for for their conduct in the past. Yeah, I think really good points, Blair. Um, If we're already describing you or someone you know and you think uh, they could use a hand, uh, get them to give Sands & Associates a call. The the phone number is 1-800-661-3030. Or if you want to check out their website, please do that. It's sands-trustee.com. Now, I wanted to move on a little bit, Blair, and talk about some of the things that Sands & Associates and and your estate managers want people to know when it comes Mm -hmm to asking for help. Yeah, absolutely. I think really top on that list is you do deserve to live with dignity. So just because you're in debt doesn't mean that you have to submit yourself to harassment, to being berated, uh, to feeling like a failure. Uh, Being in debt can cause a lot of shame, a lot of self-blame, but everyone is deserving of a financial fresh start. And regardless of, of any of your debt situation, you absolutely do deserve to be treated with and to live with dignity and respect. So we try to emphasize that right from the start, uh, that as humans, we've got certain things that, you know, just the base level of dignity and respect is just endemic to us. Um, And we want people to understand as well, you know, life goes on and you can and will move beyond this current challenge. So it can be really, really tough in the moment in the eye of the storm to think out, you know, two, five or 10 years and know that eventually all this shall pass. Um, But absolutely, as I've often said, you know, debt always has a solution. It's not something that's going to persist for your entire life. So you will be able to move forward. What are a couple of other ones? I know you've got I've got a few more listed that we want to talk about. Yeah, I think just one uh, last quote that I would say here, it's from my colleague Raj, um, on, on his bio, again, one of his key pieces of advice that he gives is we can't control what happened in the past, but we can help you understand where you're at today so you can move forward to your goals and your debt-free future. So the more that we can get away from really dwelling on all that's happened in the past, all that we could have controlled or not, um, really focus on the future, focus on that plan, get behind it and get enthused about it, um, that's where we're going to have the real transformation, the real change, the turnaround in people's lives. Are are people or most people surprised to learn um, the kinds of things that come with figuring out debt and debt management? Every day. Um, Elena, sometimes it's, I enjoy my job because I feel like I'm giving good news a lot of times that people didn't anticipate. So, you know, a lot of times people feel like they're the only person facing their situation. No one's ever been through it before. And people are quite surprised to learn, um, you know, in 2019, there were almost 140,000 people in Canada across the country um, who worked with a a licensed insolvency trustee to file either a personal bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. So somewhere between 100 and 150,000 people year in, year out in Canada do restructure their debts. And so you're definitely not alone. Um, quite often, people are really surprised to learn um, that credit and debt borrowing, credit ratings, how everything interacts is not how they, how they typically thought. Uh, and there's a lot of education in our counseling sessions about how credit ratings actually work. 
about how often keeping a perfect credit rating can be at the expense of your overall financial health. So I really enjoyed that part of it, of helping people understand, you know, yeah, credit rating is a report card. You don't need to have A-pluses at every stage in your life. And sometimes um, the right decision is to take a short-term hit to your credit report, restructure all the debt, and then be in a better position to save money in the future and rebuild the credit over time. So oftentimes people are very surprised to see, okay, we can have a strategy with our credit rating. It doesn't need to just be perfect at every stage. Excellent. And how straightforward are debt solutions these days? And how, you know, how do the processes that people can choose from actually work? I know you've got some good, good statistics on that. Yeah, well, for most people, they're very surprised to know how how actually straightforward and easy it is to file either a bankruptcy or consumer proposal. It's still something you don't go into lightly. But for 80 percent of people, they said if they knew how straightforward it was, they would have acted more quickly. So if you think it's a very difficult, convoluted process, it isn't. Um, And I think for another thing that people are sometimes surprised is when you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee, an LIT is not paid by commission, not paid by your creditors at all. So they really don't have a vested interest in you pursuing one option or another. An LIT is just an impartial um, an officer of the court, essentially, to help you understand what your options are and help you choose the right option to move forward. I'm going to give you the phone number again. It's 1-800-661-3030 to uh, get that first appointment. Sands-trustee.com is the website. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about risky debt cycles. And this is going to be an interesting uh, segment because we're specifically talking about payday loans and the amount of risk that's out there uh, around payday loans. Uh, it's so interesting because it, when, when it comes to alternative borrowing, lots of debt experts caution payday loans are among the riskiest types of debts to have. And, and yet they seem, Blair, that they're so much more available than they ever were before. Uh, the, the offices and the places that you can go to to uh, do payday loans um, are considerable, right? I mean, it seems like it's a growing industry to me. Oh, yes, Elaine. There's, there's just tons, whether it's brick and mortar, um, places popping up all the time, you know, some very you know, large national banners, some, you know, very small regional, maybe just a single location or two. Uh, even online, you can find, you know, payday lenders these days. So it's, it's very easy to get into the into this type of debt. Um, and payday loans are typically, they're a special type of debt. It's usually your last resort. So it's, it's what you go to yeah. when, you know, typically you've been turned down for a bunch of other types of debt that, you know, might have better terms. Uh, and the big challenge with payday loans uh, is that they're very addictive. So I've said before, there's a crack cocaine of borrowing. Um, you, you get one, you need a second, you need a third. I see people with 10 to 15 different payday loans moving money around crazily each month, just trying to keep all the balls in the air. Uh, so the challenges are the interest rate is so high, all the costs and the fees, that often when you have one you need to take out a second or a third to actually pay off the cost of just that first loan, and it creates a vicious cycle. So it's very, as you said, risky financing, and I'm really happy today we're going to delve into a bunch, um, you know, the numbers, the structure, how these work, um, and hopefully give people some good insights that will help them try to avoid using this type of financing. Okay, well, let's, let's start with the actual payday loan, how it's set up uh, and, how, and how it works. How, why is it, you know, how it becomes so risky for the borrower? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a payday loan, so it's offered, you know, usually physically in store, but now online, and it's by privately owned companies. 
So this isn't, um, you know, your large banks typically. It's not a government organization. It's a private organization that just starts off to offer payday loans. And they are subject to provincial regulations. So it's a short-term loan. And the regulation state, you can borrow up to $1,500. Um, the objective is a payday loan. It's meant to cover a cash shortfall for a short period. So the idea is, like the name, it's in between your paydays. You're going to pay it off in your next paycheck. Uh, and in BC, that's up to $1,500. You've got up to 62 days to pay your payday loan back. So it's not supposed to be long-term financing. Uh, and if you don't repay your payday loan, plus the interest and the fees, you face even more interest and fees. So what about an installment loan? Is that the next piece that we want to talk about in relation to this? Because how is that yeah, so different? Well, that's important for people to know. The payday lenders started off a number of years ago, and they were just payday loans. They were just the $1,500, pay it back in up to 60 days, and that was their, their bread and butter. Now, what I've seen in the last couple of years especially is just an explosion in what's called installment loans with all the big payday lenders doing this, uh, and it's typically for an amount larger than that of a payday loan. It can be much larger. I've seen ten, fifteen thousand, 15000 even $20,000 uh, installment loans, and although the cost is usually lower than that of a payday loan, they still can be very, very expensive, um, much more expensive than other costs of borrowing. Um, and just in terms of who uses payday loans, you know, it's the vast majority of Canadians luckily don't need to resort to payday loans, but there's up to 2% of Canadians uh, in recent surveys that said they're habitual payday loan borrowers. Um, and what's interesting is how this changes amongst vulnerable groups. So for low-income households, it's doubled its 4% incidence. For Indigenous peoples, it's doubled again to 8% incidence. Uh, and for single parents, 8% of single parents have used payday loans in the past year, according to a recent survey. So it can be people really at the edges of our financial system who really have a tough time accessing financing anywhere else who are, who are being hit with the highest cost financing, unfortunately. And that's the cycle that you're talking about. You owe money, you can't get out of it, you've got to borrow more, more money to pay, and, and on and on and on and on it goes. That's exactly right. So, look, can we talk about some of the charges? Like, do you actually know what, what these companies are charging these days? And, and, and then talk about why this type of borrowing uh, has such a high cost. Yes, indeed. And I'm really happy to give some concrete numbers because I think the way that payday loans are often marketed, it's not that clear that the interest rate is so high. So, you know, first off, you need to understand even accessing the money you've borrowed can sometimes have additional costs. So some payday lenders might ask you to take your loan via a prepaid card and they charge you extra cost to activate it and use the card. So setting that aside, which I think is just quite distasteful, but I'm sure there's some objective of saying, well, this is easy access, but I don't just give the cash is my opinion. But putting that aside, that aside, let's talk about the borrowing cost. So each province and territory has some different rules and restrictions. But in BC, the maximum fee for borrowing a two-week $100 loan is $15. Okay, so it doesn't sound like a lot. And that's what you see off advertised all the time is a loan is $100, uh, sorry, $15 on $100. Uh, okay, sounds high, but... Uh, if you think the maximum legal interest rate in Canada is 60%, so in the Criminal Code of Canada, there can be no interest rates charged higher than 60%. A credit card is usually in the range of, you know, 12, maybe to 19 to 29%, somewhere in that range. If you actually do the math on a two-week payday loan, that's $15 on 100, that's 400% interest. So six times higher, six and a half times higher than the maximum allowed by law is what you're, what you're actually paying on a small payday loan and maybe $15 doesn't sound so bad 
But if you actually look through an example, and this is provided by the government of BC, they're actively trying to encourage people to look at all of their options before they borrow from a payday lender. If you borrow $300 with a payday loan, within 14 days, you're paying back $345. And as we calculated, you know, that's about 391% interest, so quite high. Um, if you actually used a line of credit, and let's say the line of credit had a $5 admin fee and a 7% rate, instead of $345, you're at $305, so about one-ninth the interest charge. Uh, if you used your overdraft, so sometimes people are just scared of you know approaching their bank for an overdraft or want to stay out of it all the time, it might be a $5 fee and maybe 19% interest, so you're at $307, still a whole lot less than $345 for a payday loan. And even a credit card, if you had to do this, which you definitely don't recommend, but if you had to borrow on your credit card, let's say there's a small fee of 5 bucks to access the funds and a 21% interest rate, you're still at $307. So the very expensive credit card cash advance is going to cost you about 7 bucks. The payday loan is still going to cost you $45. So it's so significant, so much more expensive than other sources of financing. It's easy to see how that can be a cycle that you're paying back the second loan and then you're left short because you paid all this high interest. So you need another loan and then you pay that back and you need a further loan. So again, the cycle of payday loans is something I see just about every day. And it's just the whole idea of just don't start with one because it's very difficult to just end with one. And I totally understand what you're saying when you when you when you give the other examples in terms of a line of credit or overdraft protection. The average person just doesn't even think about those things because it's a bank oriented thing. I would I would think that's why I I wouldn't think of that. I think oh well the guy's on the corner he, there's his store or he sent me an email or whatever. That's got to be easier than having to go to a bank and ask that question. Well, and that's what the, the niche is, the, the value to the payday lender industry is this is providing access to credit to those who might be underbanked, so to speak, or don't have a great relationship with their bank or maybe don't even have a, a bank account in some cases. Um, so, you know, a payday lender is going to give you access to funds, but it's at such a significant cost that we really encourage people to explore every other alternative first. Um, you know, even if your payday loan is because you're going to be late for your rent, it might be worth talking to your landlord. And, you know, if you do it in the right, respectful way and have a good plan that you could execute on, you might have saved yourself all that hassle and just you know pay the rent a little bit late that month Uh, you do need to understand that you have rights when you take out a payday loan so if you've just signed one recently and are concerned about it you've got two full business days where you can cancel the loan and not pay any penalties um, and you always have the right to repay the loan early without paying any additional penalties so those are a couple of your outs there uh, but a lot of people again they're, they're just trapped in that cycle of the high cost I want to mention, too, uh, if you're in this situation and you want to take some action, go see somebody from Sands and Associates. Go see Blair, uh, and they have offices all over the province. Uh, 1-800-661-3030 is the website, or is the phone number, and the website address is sands-trustee.com. And just get some good, free information on steps to take, and maybe they can give you a hand with this. So beyond the expense of basic costs, there are some areas uh, of caution that you think it's really important for people to know about when it comes to this time, this kind of borrowing, Blair. Yeah, a couple of things to highlight right off the top is be very careful with online payday lenders. So a lot of them aren't licensed. Uh, they will not follow provincial rules or may not um, in your jurisdiction. So the things we talked about, the two-day right to cancel and pay things off early, if you're borrowing from an online lender, that could be tough to get them held accountable to BC law. And if they're located outside of Canada, it could be just impossible to have anything you know, 
judicially set in Canada that's going to be binding on them. So just be very careful if it's an online lender. Um, also be careful that sometimes what you think you're doing online, applying for a loan, uh, you're actually just giving your money to what's called a lead generation website. So you put in all your information, what you're looking for, uh, and then they're not going to actually give you the loan, but they're going to sell your information to a bunch of other providers who then might start following up with you with unsolicited offers, calls, maybe even harassment, uh, where you end up with not the best deal, but just the one that, you know, kind of screamed the loudest in your in your ear uh, and made you just want, you want them to go away. Uh, you need to be careful, too, about upfront fees. So it's illegal for a company to request that you pay an upfront fee to obtain your loan. Um, so the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, um, they actually said this on, on their website, and I quote it, uh, is don't fall for promises that you'll get a loan regardless of your credit problems. If you have poor credit or haven't established good credit history yet, it's unlikely that anyone will lend you money without charging large fees. So the whole idea of it seems too good to be true, you know, great loans, low rates, no credit, doesn't, doesn't matter. Uh, generally, it is too good to be true, uh, and you'll be cautious about that. And, you know, finally, you can always check with Consumer Protection BC to verify if a payday lender actually holds a license in the province. So if you do end up needing to take this step to take a payday loan, at least make sure they're licensed so that you do have some recourse through Consumer Protection BC. We've just got about a minute left, Blair, and I know this is a large question for a short amount of time, but what are some of the other real warning signs that might signal it's time for somebody to get some good advice and to get out of this cycle? I mean, is it even possible? It feels pretty dire. No, it's absolutely possible to get out of this cycle. I think, you know, a big warning sign, if you're habitually using payday loans, that's probably the number one warning sign. It means if something is not going according to plan, if you're always paying, you know, close to this 400% interest rate on some funds, uh, you should sit down with a professional to figure out, well, what's the root cause of this? Is it because all of your other debts are so high, you're not left with enough money to get yourself by, and you have to resort to payday loans to, to fill the gap? Um, you know, that's a big warning sign. Just even having a single payday loan, let alone three, four, five or more, if you're carrying multiple, you definitely should be phoning us up, have a chat, and we'll, we'll try to get, get it to a point where you don't need to use payday loans. But the biggest warning signs that we see just in general is if you're stuck in a cycle of just making minimum payments on your debts. So you've got some debts, they don't seem to go down each, each month, but you make all your money to minimum payments and you can't do any more than that. That's when you need some advice from a licensed insolvency trustee to stop that cycle, to freeze the interest, to get you out of debt, and you can get back in control of your life. I'll give you the website one more time, sands-trustee.com, or give them a call, 1-800-661-3030. Set up that first consultation. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. In this segment, we're going to talk about two things, consumer proposal or a consolidation alone. Which is better? Uh, we're going to learn about the advantages of consolidating debt with a consumer proposal instead of a loan. So consolidating your debt can be a great way to get a handle on repaying multiple balances, as well as cut down the cost of borrowing. But lots of consumers don't know it's possible to consolidate your debt without borrowing more money. Um, and that's why Blair's here. He's going to tell us how a consumer proposal works to consolidate debt and how this pretty unique consolidation solution compares to the standard consolidation loan that we've heard so much about. So, Blair, can you start by talking a bit about when debt consolidation is helpful in managing your debt? Like, where do, where do people need to be in order to start this process? 
Yeah, you know, every situation obviously is unique, but depending on the options available to you, the terms of the debts that you have, there can be a lot of benefits to help you better manage your debt when you consolidate or put things together. Uh, a couple of these benefits are reducing the number of debt payments you need to juggle each month. So very easy to miss a payment if they're happening all the times through the month and there's a bunch of them to keep track of. If it's just a single payment per month, well, that's a whole lot more simple. Um, ideally, freeing up some monthly cash flow. So typically the idea of consolidating is not only is it a little more simple, but hopefully you're going to save a little bit more money by reducing or perhaps even eliminating interest costs, depending on how you choose to consolidate. Uh, the idea is, again, that you will save money in the longer term by having those lower interest rates. Uh, and then finally, getting a clear timeline on when your debts are going to be paid off. So it's very easy to fall into what we call the minimum payment trap on, on credit cards, where you're just paying the minimums each month, your credit rating looks great, but gee, you look at your state and you say, okay, or you see that there's a disclosure that, hey, that $6,000 debt is going to keep you um, in these payments for over four decades. So at least <laughs> when you're doing a consolidation uh, method, uh, you typically have a good sense of, okay, this loan or, or whatever mechanism is going to go down to zero at a certain point and you have a goal that you can work towards. You've said before too that actually um, making the grade to use a consolidation loan or get a consolidation loan, qualify for one, can be pretty tough. Yeah, and that's, I really want to, to kind of communicate today that when we say consolidation, there's a couple ways you can come at consolidation. Most people think when we talk about debt consolidation, we mean a debt consolidation loan, and we're going to talk about that for sure today. But another method of consolidating debts is by filing a consumer proposal, which is not a loan. It's not something you need to qualify for. So speaking first about consolidation loans and financing, what happens when you're taking out a consolidation loan is you're simply changing who you owe money to. So at best, you're going to get a lower interest rate and a more affordable payment. But the downside, as you alluded to, Elaine, is it can be very difficult to qualify for a consolidation loan for many people. So because the bank is lending you money to pay off each of the individual creditors, they want to have a good sense they're going to be able to get that money back. So oftentimes, the qualification criteria can be quite difficult. They would want a high credit score uh, compared to a moderate amount of debt. They'd want to see a consistent income. And oftentimes, they'll really only be willing to approve if you're willing to pledge an asset or have a co-signer guarantee the full debt in the event you're not able to repay it. And both of these are very risky strategies that we typically recommend against, or at least recommend getting good advice, having your eyes wide open before you do decide um, you know, to pledge an asset or get a co-signer involved. Uh, and if you do decide to apply for a consolidation loan, you've got to make sure you fully understand the terms. The interest rates can vary so significantly. I've seen consolidation loans in and around high single digits or low teens of interest rates. I've also seen them at 45% interest rates. And, you know, to think you're consolidating your, your debts together, but you're paying, you know, close to 50% interest in a year, uh, you know, that's not a recipe for, for long-term success, certainly. Now, this contrasts against the consumer proposal where the benefits of consolidation are hugely increased. So when you do a consumer proposal, there's no borrowing needed. So the ongoing interest charges are completely taken out of the equation. Um, 
And you can, in almost every case, cut down quite significantly how much of your total debt you have to repay in order to have the debts considered paid in full. You can use a consumer proposal to manage just a single debt, but it's often the case it's a simplification exercise. It's putting all of the debts together, stopping all of the interest, and reducing the debt down to what you can afford. And just a, a couple of examples here, because I think they're, they're rather sobering. Uh, if you were dealing with $10,000 of debt, which is certainly uh, not anything to sneeze at, but not the situation where it's automatically bankruptcy is the right option. If you said, okay, they've got this $10,000 of debt, it's at a reasonable credit card interest rate of 18%. I know it sounds crazy, but credit cards can get a whole lot higher than that. So 18% is pretty standard. If you wanted to repay that debt uh, without consolidation over a three-year period, you'd have to pay about $360 a month um, over that three-year period. So you stop using the card altogether and you're asked to pay 360 per month uh, to clear that balance in three years. Okay, that's our starting point. Now, on that balance, if you chose to get a consolidation loan to pay off that debt instead, you might be able to achieve an interest rate of 12%, a whole lot better than 18, still not zero. Um, what would that do to your payments? A little less than you would think. It actually only brings it down to $330 per month um, over three years. So from 330, th sorry, from 360 to 330, that's not life-changing. Obviously, it's a little bit better room in your budget each month. Um, but just consolidating in that situation, to me, doesn't make a huge night and day difference. Uh, what does make a big night and day difference is if you chose to file a consumer proposal. So that same debt of $10,000, if it was reduced by 40%, which is actually on the low side, often we can achieve a greater reduction than that by just being conservative in this example, you would repay $6,000 to settle the debt in full. And that's inclusive of any professional fees, anything else that, that's going on. All you would pay is $6,000 over a three-year period. That would mean your payments are $165. So literally half of even what a consolidation loan would be. And, you know, my question to anyone listening who thinks that that's might apply to them, you know, what could you do with that extra $165 per month? There's probably a lot of things that that would open up in your budget. Okay. I want to skip right to the, to the, the question, Blair. Uh, how, could, how could somebody get more information about consumer proposals, one, and then estimate what the consumer proposal would cost. I mean, I think we've really covered the consolidation loan idea, and I really want you know to, you to be able to spend some time in this segment on on the consumer proposal and and how and not just how it works, but the estimate of, of somebody just trying to figure it out what what that would cost them. Sure. So with a consumer proposal, the way you figure out how much it will cost you is you sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee and we do an initial consultation to just figure out, well, what's the worst case scenario? The worst case, if someone were to file for bankruptcy, uh, we have to look at what would be repaid on those debts. And if someone doesn't have real estate, um, doesn't have a whole lot of assets, oftentimes someone who's filing for bankruptcy, there's not going to be any recovery on the debt or it might be five or 10 cents on the dollar. So whatever that is, we have to do a little bit better than that in a consumer proposal. So if a bankruptcy was going to recover, say, 10 cents or 15 cents in the dollar, uh, what we would say in a consumer proposal is, okay, whatever your debts are, let's offer them 20 cents in the dollar or 25 cents on the dollar or something like that. Again, it's not the case you have to come up with any lump sum of money. It's not the case you have to have a great credit rating to do this. All you have to do is meet with a licensed insolvency trustee. And literally in that first meeting, we're going to be able to figure out what the proposal could look 
look like based on the information you'll share with us about your assets, your liabilities, about the budget. Uh, as a trustee, it's incredibly important if we file a consumer proposal that we've stress tested it, that we've looked at the budget, we've made sure it's going to be affordable for the household. It's not going to put them into undue hardship given the, the family situation who lives at home and what are their situations. So when you sit down with a trustee, it's a completely tailored experience of figuring out what the proposal structure might look like. And then you get the option to see whether it's something you want to go forward with. Um, I think the second point you asked me there, Elaine, is the credit rating impact. Um, so a proposal is going to be reflected on your credit report for the earlier of six years from the day you sign it or three years from when you pay it off. So if a proposal was for five years, literally a year after you finish those payments, it's gone off your credit report as if it never happened. And what's really important to realize is you can start rebuilding your credit immediately. As soon as you've filed a consumer proposal, you can start getting a secured credit card, start rebuilding that rating back up. So in general, it's a much better alternative to file a proposal, have the credit rating impact for a short period of time, but then be that much better in the future. And I just want to throw in as we wrap this up that the licensed insolvency trustee is the only one who can do a consumer proposal for you. There's nobody else that can do it. And, and I think that's just so important to remember for folks. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. You've been listening to Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, who are dedicated to helping you get out of debt. Check out their website, sands-trustee.com, or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. So this one's all about moving on after personal bankruptcy. Money problems don't have to last forever. We're going to learn about how to move on with your life after bankruptcy. And boy, this is going to be such a good segment um, because it feels like, well, for folks who are in it or going into it or contemplating bankruptcy, uh, you know, the, the other side of it is probably the something that they can't even believe is possible at this point, Blair. Yeah, you know, no one who comes into my office is typically having the best day of their life. And I, I understand that. And what we can do is we can meet that person with empathy, with kindness, and with optimism, with the benefit of, you know, over the last 30 plus years, more than 50,000 people in BC have used our services and been that much better off for doing so. But I understand in the moment when you're feeling like I can't meet my obligations, um, you know, I've got this conception of a bankruptcy proceeding that is probably a whole lot worse than the reality of it, uh, you know, it can be a difficult period in someone's life. Uh, and what we do is we just shine a light. We can show exactly how a bankruptcy could work. We can explain it's not this public shaming that you might think. It's not a proceeding that leave, leaves you with literally nothing, not even your dignity. It's meant to help you get back on your feet, get a financial fresh start. And it's meant to be a, a win on all sides, you getting rid of the debt and then becoming a productive, contributing consumer where the banks can all make money again in the future. Um, there's a lot of, of optimism that can come through a bankruptcy proceeding. Um, what bankruptcy means in Canada is personal bankruptcy. It's a legal solution. It allows an individual to get debt relief and have their debts forgiven. What happens when you file for bankruptcy is you get immediate debt relief and then you work through the process to receive an official discharge, which is your release from bankruptcy. And at that time, all the debts that you filed for bankruptcy, they're frozen on the day you file. Once you work through the, the proceeding of bankruptcy, satisfy the obligations you have to do, all of those debts are considered forgiven and legally written off by your creditors. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but working through the process of bankruptcy, it's not typically years. Uh, it can be as little as nine months. So we're not talking about a 10-year plan. We're talking about something that can pretty quickly get your life back on track. 
Excellent. Okay. So where do you want to start? Do you want to, you know, what does it, what does it mean to file for bankruptcy in this country? Yeah. Well, I, I think first off, something for people to know is that the option to, and decision to file for personal bankruptcy is yours and yours alone. There's no qualifying body that's going to look at you and say, oh no, you're not worthy of this relief. It's your option. And conversely, I've never met a client who's been forced into a bankruptcy. So as much as your creditors might threaten, you know, they're going to take you to court and force you into bankruptcy, that just doesn't happen. What happens is an individual finds themselves with too much debt, more debt than they're able to pay, and they seek out a licensed insolvency trustee. And the individual gets to choose that licensed insolvency trustee. And that's why we know at Sands and Associates, it's so important, you know, to treat the clients with respect, with dignity, with empathy, um, as they reach out, because we're not the only trustee that's available. Um, the legislation is what it is. But it really that working relationship with your trustee, that's why people make the choice on which firm they're going to work with. Uh, they want to feel like they're going to be valued, um, and have, you know, as smooth as, as possible, a ride through an insolvency proceeding. Uh, what's the eligibility to file for bankruptcy is you just have to owe more than a 1000 dollars and not be able to repay that debt. So that amount hasn't changed since the Great Depression when $1,000 was a huge amount of money. And I've got nobody that files for bankruptcy at $1,000 a debt. But do people file at five, 10, 15,000? Yeah, depending on the situation, on their income, on the stress level they're experiencing. You know, essentially, if you've got more debt than you're able to handle, bankruptcy is an option to consider. It's not the only option, but it's certainly an option um, that, that can have some merit. And finally, when you start the bankruptcy, it means that you no longer have any obligations to your creditors. Uh, you start to work with the trustee. The trustee steps in the middle like a referee, explaining to your creditors how they have to back completely off and explaining to you, here's what you have to do to complete the bankruptcy successfully. Okay. Sands and Associates, that's who Blair is. Uh, you can give them a call. They've got offices all over British Columbia of bankruptcy, or if you feel that bankruptcy is your next step, or at least you want to sit down and talk about it, 1-800-661-3030 is the number. And I wanted to ask you, Blair, when it comes to bankruptcy, I'm just assuming that a bankruptcy would virtually uh, resolve all types of debt that someone would have. That's right, Elaine. And that's the right way to say it is it's virtually all types of debt. So any credit cards, student loans, lines of credit, amounts owing to government, to private individuals, you know, going through my mind, just about every debt that you have can be dealt with in a bankruptcy. Uh, a couple of exceptions to that are the things that would just make sense. So things like child support or alimony, those can't be discharged in a bankruptcy. Those are family obligations that have to be either the court will determine uh, or satisfied over time. Um, other than that, you know, things like a car loan or a mortgage, Mortgage. If you go into a bankruptcy, it's not an automatic thing that you have to give up your house or your car. If you're able to continue making payments on a mortgage or a car loan, uh, depending on the amount of equity that's there, most people are able to retain all of their assets through the bankruptcy. And what happens when you're going through a bankruptcy, what you're required to do, there's a lot of myths and there's a lot of thinking. Again, it can be a five, six, seven year pro program. Um, again, for most people, it's about nine months from when it starts to finish. And the key things that that an individual has to do is kind of three big things. So number one, for every month that someone's in bankruptcy, they have to file a monthly budget. So they have to just track their income, track where the money went. They don't need proof of all their expenses, just the proof of the income each month. And that's to ensure the person's living within their means each month. And it's also to determine how long a bankruptcy would last and what payments they're required to make. So about 80% of the work an individual does in a bankruptcy uh, is just keeping that monthly budget, which is just really great financial hygiene, just a great 
great habit to get into. Uh, second thing is they have to attend two financial counseling sessions. They're private one-on-ones, not a group session or anything like that. Just one-on-one really detailed counseling to help understand what created the, the situation of the insolvency uh, and how do we avoid that in the future. Uh, and then the last thing is the person has to make some payments. So for 80% of people who are low income, they file for bankruptcy. It's over and done with inside of nine months. And over those nine months, they're required to pay a total cost of $2,300, which is about $255 per month. Usually it's a whole lot less than what they were paying on their debts. And again, after nine months, that's their full obligation. They move on, leaving all the debt behind. That's amazing. Nine months versus seven years, which is sort of what the the myth is that's out there. Mm -hmm. Crazy. So what happens when you're done? What's a, How does the discharge work, the completion work, Blair? Yeah, once you've finished the, the bankruptcy, so the nine months are over, you've done the budgets, done the counseling and paid the fees, you receive an official discharge from bankruptcy, which is my favorite part of the job is signing those discharge certificates because I know how much it means to somebody when they get that certificate that says, as of this day, you are full and finally released from all of these debts that you have that were dragging you down before. Not those exact legal words, but pretty close to it. <laughs> uh, so you get your certificate of discharge. Uh, from then, the biggest focus is just on rebuilding your credit. You know, so not that we want to rush you back into credit far from that. But a lot of people have hesitations for filing a bankruptcy because they think, you know, it's, it's going to kill their credit for the rest of their life. They'll never be able to be financially successful again. Uh, and that's completely false. So what happens when you finish the bankruptcy is people can start rebuilding their credit. And in as little as two to three years, you could probably qualify for a mortgage without any crazy risk premium, even get a, a car loan at standard rates. But it's depending on you really making some good positive stories on your credit report after the bankruptcy. What happens when you finish bankruptcy is for the next six years, if somebody pulls a credit report, they're going to see a bankruptcy has been filed. Um, but again, if someone does their own research or just from my experience, it's about a two or three year calendar from when someone can start to move to a secured credit card, to an unsecured credit card, to finally being again considered for mortgages, lines of credit, so on and so forth. So not a life sentence by any means. You do have to do the right things after the bankruptcy, which is just paying everything on time all the time. And we tell you exactly how to do that in the counseling sessions. Uh, it's certainly something you will recover from. Excellent. So if you're in thinking uh, that you want to learn either about bankruptcy as well as the bankruptcy alternatives that can help you deal with your debt for good, like for good period, you can book your free financial consultation with a very caring, non-judgmental Sands and Associates debt help expert. And it's very easy to do. The phone number is 1-800-661-3030, or you can visit their website, which is just terrific, filled with good questions and loads of answers, thoughtful, kind answers on, on, way, on a way that'll give you a way to, to move forward on this at sands-trustee.com. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.